to be building a lot on what we were on yesterday um, in a way that you might have already connected, but a, a way that proved to be pivotal and crucial in my own walk with the Lord. Um, this particular message is not a message that is something that is framed out there in space or something that I read in a book and thought would be interesting to share with you all. This is something that really changed my life altogether. And it's the topic is living by the word of his power. And as we're continuing these days that we're gathering, we're talking about what happened to the church. You know, we, you can just talk to countless people at this point that long for some type of recovery to what they read in the book of Acts. They say, you know, we see something that was birthed there. We see where we're at now, and we just don't know how to get back. And, you know, a lot of what we're dealing with here up front is we're dealing with the things that have caused harm to that, you know, that, has, um, that have distorted what the vision and mission was in redeeming a people. And this particular topic today is a topic that touches on that, um, that I would say it like this. Um, if, if we don't recover a certain relationship to the Word of God, a posture towards hearing His voice, then we can't truly be his people. You know, in every conflict, um, there's different strategies that prove more effective than others. And we see these strategies oftentimes in war. We see them in the natural, and they tell us that they parallel strategies or schemes that are happening in spiritual places. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and principalities and heavenly places. And so there is this idea that when we see something in conflict happening on the earth, we can understand that that conflict is paralleled in spiritual places and spiritual realities. One of those schemes that we see is we see that during times of war, they will um, wage what is known as an economic war against a country. And one of the most effective strategies that they use in an economic war is they, they, um, th they cause their currency to be flooded and so their, their money has no value. So you can see this in World War II where the Deutschmark was just printed like paper, a bunch of counterfeits, and flood the entire market with it so that no one trusts anymore the Deutschmark. No one trusts this currency. No one thinks that this has any real value. Does that, does that make sense? And the devil, he does a very similar thing. He looks at what would change us, and it would be people who are tuned to hearing the word of God. And when that anointing comes, responding to it, and so he starts to wage war against that by flooding YouTube with endless sermons and endless self-help books and endless different directions you can go to get an answer. And we find ourselves like at a buffet line, just kind of picking the different things that we like and kind of snubbing our nose to the things that we didn't. And, and we're just, we're amassing for ourselves information, but we're not changing. Maybe we could turn to a scripture and, and see an example of this. Jeremiah 23 very briefly, this happened in my life. Um, I had a powerful encounter with God at the age of 18. And um, I heard a word from the Lord, you know, I'm a father to the fatherless. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. It completely changed my life. I mean it. I was, I was on the route to an early grave. I was floating in juvenile detention facilities and foster care and... Um, bouncing around and using drugs and uh, was in a dry out facility at 17 and, 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 and here a word came to me and it changed me. It changed me. I, I, heard, I heard God speaking to me and inviting me into a relationship. And from that day when I walked out, I would say that my life was ordered 
by what I felt God was instructing and leading me to do. I mean, I know it's going to sound silly, but I didn't walk into a gas station and just go buy whatever soda pop I wanted to. I mean, I was 18 and I walked in and said, Lord, what would you release me to buy? <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to do anything outside of his will. It was like I was owned and possessed by God, you know. But then I packed everything I owned to the back of a Honda Civic. I drove out to California to attend Bible college. And, um, and I spent four years in Bible college. And I became someone who stands over the word of God rather than standing underneath it and having God speak to me. And so all of a sudden, four years in Bible college, and I'm no longer listening for that voice anymore that would lead me. But instead, I've amassed for myself all this knowledge and information, and that means that I know God. But all I've really done is now I know about Him, at least I think I do, but I've lost that personal encounter. And if you'll remember the talk that I gave yesterday and some of the more salient points that were there, one of those points is, is that Athens hijacked Jerusalem and that Jerusalem was about a personal encounter with God, that we would know him, that that's what God desired. I found fault with that first covenant, so I will form a new one. And this is going to be that new covenant. I'm going to write my law upon their hearts and they shall all know me. You know, that said Jerusalem was about people encountering God and being made whole by being born of his spirit. And I said Athens was about ideas divorced from practice. And so Christianity quickly became the profession of just creeds. And if you could rightly say these following words about who God was, then you had eternal life. So no longer did you need a personal encounter with God. No longer did you need to be born again of His Spirit. No longer did you need to get tested all the way to the point where you would believe in the resurrection from the dead, that God would put his spirit, his life within you if you hoped against hope that his word was true. We didn't have to encounter him that way. We could know about him. We could define him according to our creeds. And then we could say, you're saved or you're not saved based on how well you're scoring on your doctrinal exam. And that's what took place and it washed over Christianity. This personal encounter with God changed. And it was just to have some head knowledge and assert some mental assent to facts. Well, I went to Bible college, and that very thing happened to me. And you know what? I went into a wilderness for 10 years. 10 years I went, and all the things that I thought I would never walk in again because God had freed me. I was now underneath the tyranny and bondage of my desires again. Walk by the Spirit, it says, and you will put to death the deeds of the flesh. That had altogether been lost, and I was very swollen with all that I knew, and it did me no good against the indulgences of the flesh. Jeremiah 23 reads this, starting in verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Now, who are they saying this to? He's saying it to God's people, but a, a segment of God's people that continually despise the word. They don't really want to hear that word. They want to hear a different word word that would make them feel comfortable or a word that would tickle their fancy, whatever it is, but they don't want to hear the word of the Lord. And he says, he says that this, don't listen to these prophets who continue to feel. Now, when you hear this, do you feel like the market's being flooded with words from the Lord? Okay, well, let's keep reading and see if we feel that same atmosphere. Verse 18, for who among I'll finish this. It shall be well with you, and to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Verse 18, for who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord? To see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened? 
Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, am not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Have I heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. Let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Boy, this is an environment in which there is that economic warfare waged, isn't it? The word of God is supposedly going forth on every street corner. And every single person is having a dream and bringing forth a word. And yet he's saying, is this the same as what my word is like? Can you not discern the difference between the voice of the shepherd and the voice of a stranger? Do you not know the difference between wheat and chaff? Does my word not distinguish itself? Is it not like a fire that burns in your members when you hear it? Is it not living and active? Does it not pierce through your heart? Does it not judge the thoughts and intents of your actions? He said, why have you settled for this word that goes forth and it's not my word and it's not those that I have sent? And he said, my people, if they weren't set on their own hearts, they would discern that this is not my word. Ezekiel 13, can we turn there and the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and saying to, those, saying to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Wow. Wow. He's saying these prophets you know, uh, Brother Howard's ministered on this from Psalm 37. Transgression speaks to a man like an oracle from God in his own heart. When, when in Ezekiel 14, the very next chapter, he's going to say, when these men come and sit in front of you, I want you to know something, Ezekiel. They've hidden idols in their heart. And so when they go to listen to you, they're not really listening. They're not really listening. And he goes, and I want you to know something. I'm going to answer them according to the idol that is in their heart. If they come to me and they don't want to hear a word truly, but they just want to twist, they want to manipulate in order to get the things that they want, then listen, when they come to me, they're not going to hear a word, but instead a prophet's going to give them some delusional word and they're going to believe it and they're going to take it and say that was a word from God. He says, if people approach me this way, then they're going to hear things. But those things won't be my word. They're even going to have their heart speak to them. But that won't be my voice inside their heart. Listen to this. He says, say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. I mean, they prophesy. They go, excuse me, everyone, hear the word of the Lord. And all they're doing is prophesying from their own hearts. 
He goes on, thus says the Lord, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in a battle in the day of the Lord. This is interesting. He says, you want to know how worthless and vain their words are? He says, you need, a, you need words that if you put into practice, if you respond to and mix with faith, are going to build you a house that can handle the storms that are surely to come. That's the type of word you're going to need to receive. And he goes, but the word they give you, you build a little shack, and when the storm comes, it's going to wipe it all away. <laughs> what an incredible thing. You know, when I... Uh, when I got sucked into reading every single different book and, and thinking that I knew everything, and I even become a Calvinist, I've since repented. And, um, you know, that was my favorite thing to do, get in a coffee shop and beat up Arminians, you know. Boy, I thought that was being a Christian. I really did. I, I, I'm more ashamed to say it than I can say because even someone that I had 18 prayed with me in tongues on a living room floor tried to teach me about the spirit that I loved very much. When he came out to visit me in Bible college, I let him know everything he didn't know. And when I repented, he was one of the first calls I made. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You were, you were trying to lead me in the way that was right. You know? But ultimately, I had erected a house. You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. You search the scriptures because you want to build a doctrinal house that you can go in and live in and say, I'm safe. And he says, but I tell you, you refuse to come to me. You refuse to come into this type of relationship with my word that when it comes forth, you're responding. When it comes forth, your obedience is what invokes my presence into your heart and changes the course of your life. And... I had gone into that house and built it, and then the trials of life started to come, and the temptations started to come, and that house just toppled. Because the relationship that was there, that that word would have brought of obedience, of responding to that anointed word as it's coming, mixing it with faith and doing what God has said, that had changed. This, this church... Amen. Remind me at the end. I want to share that story from Brother Joel. Would you guys remind me? If you see like I'm having a difficult time landing the plane at the end, remind me of this question I asked Brother Joel, okay? Let's... So what is it about our heart attitude that can change this? We saw in Jeremiah 23 that they, their hearts are stubborn and that's why they're not hearing the word. So, so what, what has to change in order for the church or God's people to have a right relationship with the word? Can someone, uh, uh, well, we don't have mics around. I'll turn to it and read it. Let's turn to John 7, and we'll look at verse 17. What, how much time do I have for this morning session? Ten fifteen. I don't know if I cheated, but I, I only made five points for today's talk, but I created 1.5 points and 2.5 points, so technically there's seven. Um, okay. Amen. John seven seventeen. are we there? If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The protection mechanism for God's people of knowing the shepherd's voice has to do with an inward inventory of heart. It, it has to do with whether or not you're truly willing to respond to whatever that word is as it comes forth. That's, that's the work that we 
have to do. Um, can I show this to you? This way? How's that? Is that good? Amen. So in Mark 4, we have the parable of the sower. And when he gets done talking about that parable, he says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of the parables in which I would speak? Right? His disciples say, can you explain this one to us? And he says, wait, if you don't understand this one, how will you understand any of them? So he's saying that this parable of understanding how the word is received, this parable is foundational to receiving all subsequent words that would come out of his mouth. Everyone with me? Okay. Do we remember... There were a lot of good soils, right? There was like five or six of them, and then there was one or two bad ones. Is that how the parable went? How many good soils were there? One. And how many bad soils were there? Three. Amen. And, and the bad soils were told that the first one was, was hard pathway. It landed on there. The birds of the air came and snatched it away, Right? Okay, we, we were told another one received it with joy, but then trial came, right? And it immediately fell away. And then the other one received it also in a very similar way, but then temptations came and it got choked out because weeds grew up all around it and it wasn't nurtured. And it said, but then it fell into good soil and it produced 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, how many of you know that soil fertility in some way has to do with three key letters, NPK? You guys know that? I, I, this is a homesteading community in some way. I think most people know that. Okay, and so what, what does N stand for? What does P stand for? What does K stand for? Okay, wow, did you guys not know? Did, there was less confidence. I had a lot of nitrogens and then it kind of trailed off. <laughs> Okay, that's all right. Amen. What is the soil condition that produces fertility or life in the heart of man? Faith, need, and honor. That's your NPK of soil fertility. This is the heart of man. He says to them, only the sick know they have need of a physician. Amen. He says that he has things he wants to speak to them, but because they think they already see, they remain blind. But those who are blind and ask for sight, he gives the ability to see. So we know that the gospel accounts of him healing people is not just because God is a miracle worker, but it's indicating something to us that everyone who is aware of their leprosy Everyone acquainted with their disability. Everyone who knows that for 13 years they've spent all that they had and sought every type of counsel and help that they could get in order to fix the issues that they have and nothing has solved it. But if they were to touch the hem of his garment, something could forever change. Amen? Amen. Need is that crucial thing. Until there is a crack, until there is a break in you that is so deep that you truly have been narrowed down into a place in which only the Word of God can change you. Until that has taken place, then you're not going to listen the way you need to listen to the Word of God. You're not. It says, to the full, that which is sweet is loathsome. But to the hungry, even that which is bitter is sweet. That Syrophoenician woman heard a bitter word, didn't she? It's not, it's not right to take that which is holy and throw it to dogs. And yet that bitter word was sweet to her. He's still speaking to me. He's still engaging me. Yes, Lord, but amen, amen. 
Even the children, even the dogs get the scraps from the children's table. When she kept that expression of need, when her heart was so tuned towards hearing his word and to receiving from him, she was but a step away from her miracle and transformation. Amen. So need is so crucial, and need is not present in God's people very much in these days. We think we have everything that we need. We, we don't live on this word in this way. We think we'll watch 10 YouTube sermons today, and we'll be spiritual. You know, we'll just keep amassing information. We'll keep doing all of this. But is this the type of need that we encounter in the New Testament of those who are, who are being transformed by God? It's different than that. It's, it's, hey, quiet down. Quiet, son of David, you know, quiet, quiet down. You know, they can't keep these men quiet because they are so aware of their need for this word to come and to change them. That's got to be back in God's people. We have got to get back to that place where he lets us, you know, be sick. And then you go, why aren't you healing me? And then he says, because he loved Lazarus, he waited two more days. Until Lazarus was good as dead and had no hope except for a word that would come forth and bring life from the dead. That's the type of need and expectation that's got to be in the hearts of God's people to be the church again. Amen. Well, is need enough? Can we just fill our need? No, it's not. In fact, you can see this a lot in people. They sit there and they cry out, you know, God, why won't you give me your Holy Spirit? Why won't you give me your Holy Spirit, you know? And amen, there's a need being expressed, but it's got to be coupled with something else. And any great storm and the type of storm that would bring life, the type of powerful coming together of two things, like a warm front and a cold front, you need faith mixed with need in order to see that transformation. Amen. Let's turn real quick to Matthew um, 8. In, in, in Matthew 8, um, you know, the gospel writers, they are moved along by the Spirit of God. And so God has an ordering to these stories that if you continue to ask the Lord for insight and understanding to, you just see it on layer after layer after layer. It just continues to be enriched. And so he just got done teaching, you know, some of the most challenging words that men had ever heard. You know, he, he dropped a grenade into the religious system that was pretty dialed in, and he let it explode, and, and I mean, people didn't even know what to do. He came in saying, you know, you've heard it said, you know, you should not commit adultery, but I tell you, if anyone has lusted for a woman in his heart, he has committed adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, but I tell you, if anyone has hate, if anyone has hate for his brother in his heart, then I tell you, he has murdered. He comes in saying, when you give, you blow a trumpet because you want everyone to notice you. When you fast, you have this long appearance because you want everyone to say, hard day today? Yeah, I've been in a real fast, you know. You know, th th this is, your whole religious system has nothing to do with real relationship with God. And he says, all of this, all of this isn't sufficient unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you by no means will enter the kingdom of God. I mean, he has come in and said, none of this is going to work. It's going to need to be authentic. It's going to need to be real. It's going to need to be from the heart. And, and I'll tell you, people are looking at this word, and it is seemingly saying, it's impossible then. It's impossible. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What shall we do? I, I think some people started leaving that going, oh, body of sin and death. What will save me from this body of sin and death? This man just read my mail. This man knows every motive. He knows all the ways we're, we're tricking the system. He knows all the ways we're full of it, you know? Oh, no. Oh, no. You know, how is something going to change? And you read in Matthew 8, 
directly following that. And it says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. This is directly following that message. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. It's almost like following this message, following this plowing of their heart into this soil that now can receive a word because it has this incredible need, he most immediately recognizes he's got to address faith. He's made them acquainted with their need, but now they need to believe in him and the word that could come forth and change them. Are you guys tracking with me? And so the very first thing, he finishes this, everyone's feeling their need, a leper comes up to him and says, if you will, and he says, I am willing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. In, math, in Mark 9, there's a boy who's thrown into fire and water. You remember this account? And what does, what does the, the father say to Jesus? If you can. If you can. And what does the Lord say to him? If I can. To the one who believes, all things are possible. If I can. He's saying, it's not a question of if I'm willing. We just saw that with the leper. And it's not a question of if I can. It's a question of whether or not you believe. To the one who believes, all things are possible. You see, part of this disastrous effect of economic warfare is that we no longer believe that his word created the heavens and the earth and that his words, when it comes forth, can change us. We don't believe in this way. I'm telling you, it's the reason why there's such a lack of power in the church is because we don't believe it. I'm recovering from this. I mean it. My preaching is a preaching that is trying to recover into a place that says, I know when your word comes forth, if people will mix it with faith and it truly is your word, it can change the course of their life, Lord. This is not about us just listening to good ideas. This is about moments in time where there's a visitation from God that if we have ears to hear it, it changes everything for us. Amen? Amen. And so right after that, he goes to the centurion, still with Matthew 8, and he says, you know, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come underneath my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. He This next part of this faith is he's saying that, Lord, when you decree it, remember Jeremiah 23, if someone sat in my counsel and heard my word and they proclaimed that word, then that word would forever change things. He says, you know, the the grass, (laughs) the flesh is like grass and like a flower that blossoms. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. He's contrasting that there are a lot of words that go out there, but a word that comes from God changes everything. Isn't that what the centurion says? He says, you don't have to come back to my place. All I need you to do is to say the word. If you decree it, God, then it is so. Wouldn't you say that so much of the battle that you all face, that I face in this fight of faith is not about holding to doctrinal creeds per se, but isn't the fight that we find ourselves in is believing God at his word? Isn't that the real tension that we find ourselves in is believing God at his word? God is the one who said that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And yet I'll tell there's people sitting there going, Lord, would you give me your spirit? It's your father's good pleasure to give you his spirit. 
Amen. So what is that saying to us? It's saying that there's something in our hearts that so fundamentally doubts that because God said it, it's true. But instead, we think that what we see and what we reason and what we feel and what we understand is more true than the word of God. God would frame an entire world that you would walk in and live in by the power of his word. He would. You would see the nature around you is completely different. Walking with him as if in the cool of the day or in the ruach and the spirit of the day. You would experience relationships in a different way if you believed his word. I remember talking with someone and they were saying, you know, I really hope that I hear from God on this matter. And I told him, you're going to. You're going to hear from the Lord on this matter. I said, I know it. I know it. God is going to speak to you. You stay in faith and you stay anticipating when that word comes. And the next day that word came and he sat there and went away sad. Why? What happened? Unbelief. It wasn't enough that he had a need. He needed to take that need and go all the way to a place that said, but God, I believe. I believe that if you speak and your word comes forth, I believe, first of all, your word will come forth. Anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give liberally and without reproach. But the one who asks must ask without doubt. For the one who doubts is like a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And that man will what? Receive nothing from God. Do you see how crucial faith and belief in God's word is for his people? Do you guys, do you guys really believe? <laughs> and you, I see a lot of faces in this room that I'm embarrassed to ask this question to because you believe it more than I believe it. But do you guys believe in the resurrection from the dead? Have you ever really thought about that? I'm not saying because of some facts. I'm saying, do you believe that God's word went forth and there was a bodily resurrection and the same thing can be true for his word that would come to your heart. When Abraham saw that his body was as good as dead and that Sarah's womb was shriveled, it said he did not shrink back though in faith. He said, but he hoped against hope and believed in the promise that God had given. We have to have that type of faith. In fact, I would say every act of obedience is a step taking you to a belief in the resurrection. Isn't that what we see in the life of Peter? Leave your fishing nets. That was an act of faith, wasn't it? Lord, if it's you, command me and I'll walk out on the water. That was an act of faith, wasn't it? Cast your sides, cast your nets onto the right side. Lord, we've been fishing all night, but at your word, Lord, we'll do it. He took steps in which they began to realize, Lord, we're perishing. Who is this that even the winds and the waves at his word have to obey? Every step of faith along the way for Peter and those disciples were taking them to the edge of themselves in which they would come to believe that God's word really is his presence. And then when they hear this word, it can change everything in their life. It got them to a point where 120 of them would get into an upper room and they would say, God is going to raise the dead. He showed us, he showed us, and it's all true. His word is true. It's going to happen. And they were rushing along, it says, in one accord. Can you imagine the faith that was in that room? It's the type of faith that I believe can happen in a conference like this. I believe that through this week, if our hearts tune towards God, we're going to hear his word and that word, when it comes forth, you're going to be able to mix it with faith and respond. And in that response, when you hear that word coming and you respond to it, I believe that the presence of God fills your heart and starts to forever change you. 
Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. We have been born again of an imperishable seed. The word of God. Amen. Amen. This is the miracle of life. So stick with me. Why honor? Well, Brother Howard taught me this and it has stuck with me through and through. And Brother Blair writes maybe the first 50 pages of building Christian character on honor. And I will tell you, you are not being honest when you live in a world in which your mind defines its reality. Well, I don't know what to say, you know. I'm just being honest. I don't feel God at all. I don't think God's present. I don't think this, you know. I, I don't know what to say. I'm just being honest, you know. I, I feel melancholy. I feel depressed. I, I never, you know, all these different things. What? Amen. Honest comes from the root word of honor. And when you live in that reality, and God says this is the reality, in him we live, move, and have our being. Jeremiah 23 just said, am I a God that's far off or am I a God that's present? Amen. It, we saw that the veil was torn and that God's presence would constitutionally be on the earth again. We saw that we had a new and living way to have access into relationship with God. Amen? So who are we honoring when we live from a place of defeat and lies that says God's presence isn't real, we can't really experience him, we can't receive his spirit, you know, we honor the devil. We honor unbelief, that wicked and unbelieving heart, it says, that we must guard ourselves against. And we don't honor what? God's word. Don't you realize that what he says can be true in your life if you mix it with faith? With John the Baptist, he said, so is John the one who came in the spirit of Elijah? And he says, to the one who received him as such, Yes, he already came in the spirit of Elijah. Isn't that an interesting thing? He's saying John was just a normal guy to a whole lot of people. But to the one who was mixing this word and showing honor to it and saying, this is the word of God, I know it. He says the spirit of Elijah was in that man and it was transforming the hearts of those people. Amen. Faith, need, and honor is the soil fertility that we need. And then the word of God comes as that seed into that heart. And when those things are present, the miracle of life happens. You have been born again of the word. He asks in Galatians, he says, when you receive the spirit... Did you receive it by the hearing of faith or by the works of the law? In Romans 10, he makes this same argument and develops it even further. And he says, do not say in your heart who will go up and get Christ, nor say who will go down and descend and bring him up. He said, do not say that because the word is not that far from you. It's very near to you. He's saying it's coming forth even in the words that I'm speaking Right now is what Paul is saying. He's saying his anointed word, which is the, the word became flesh. That anointing is here and it can change your life. He says, don't say, I have a need, but oh, who's going to go up to the heavens and get me an answer for this need? I have a need, but who's going to descend into the abyss and draw this need up? And he says, do not say this in your heart. For that need could be addressed when that anointed word comes and you can respond in faith. Believe in your heart and confess with your lips and you shall be saved. That's, what he's, that's the argument he's making is this miracle of life can happen when you believe God's word, when your need is present and when you honor him and what he says is true above everything else. You have a soil condition that is ready to receive the word of God and forever be changed. From there, 
we can see that the miracle of life happens. And you could draw this out in a, in a wonderful way and say that the roots go down into living water, which is being filled with God's spirit. And then the branch comes out and you have a tree that bears all the fruits of the spirit. And this is the feedback loop to know whether or not that seed is being received in all meekness, connected to that living water and bearing fruit upwards that demonstrate that these things have taken place in your life. Amen, 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 amen. So I'm, I'm gonna, why is, this, why is this teaching so important? You know, um, Yes, thank you. Why is this teaching so important? Brother Joel, I, I once asked him, I said, you know, I was in Southern California and I was, uh, I was preaching there and uh, I, I felt like God was giving us a lot of revelations at that time, things that were coming forth that, you know, I just knew they were from God. It's like... Uh, I, I, I was listening to the things being said as much as anyone else because I knew it was the Lord. I knew he was showing us things that, that were going to forever change our life. And I remember I met with someone and, and I said, you know, I got to ask you, do you think that the things that, you know, God has shown us right now, do you think this is from God? It was about the church. It was about these things. And he said, It is the word of the Lord more than I can possibly tell you. It's more than any time I've ever heard. This, this is God's word coming forth. I know it. And I remember I said, then why no response? Why, why not? Why no action? Why not mix it with faith and see what would actually take place when this word finds an agent, finds a person responsive on the other side that it could blossom and grow into what God designed it to be. And he didn't have an answer at that time. He later met with me and told me that there were a lot of conflicts in his life that competed with obeying this word and that he did not believe that he could respond to it and still be faithful to those other conflicts. Some of those things were... The, the cares of this life that choke out the ability for this word to come forth. I remember a man sat with me in my office on a carpet floor and he was weeping and crying and said, I had this powerful encounter with God. He brought me through a radical repentance. You know, and then about a year into that repentance, I felt like he told me I needed to quit Hollywood. I was making movies there in Hollywood. I needed to stop doing that. And it was not honoring, you know, to God. And that I needed to be planted into some type of different place, you know, in which I could grow and nurture this faith. And, and he said, but, you know, I, I looked at my standard of living and the need to take care of my family. And, and anyways, I just decided that well, there's no way that I could do that, you know. And so I, I didn't do it. And that was six years ago, and I'm, I'm back in sin right now. I don't have victory. Do you know what happened to me? And, and I mean it, and you'll know if you've ever been in this place. It was real confusion. It wasn't like, do you know what happened? I mean, to me, a lot of people are probably connecting the dots right now. They're going, well, yeah, you disobeyed the word of the Lord. God's people live off of every word that proceeds out of his mouth. So if you're not obeying his word, you don't have his presence. If you don't have his presence, then you're not alive. Not in him, you're not. So, I mean, a lot of us just connect that and say, oh, oh, of course. He didn't understand. He truly thought to himself, what's going on? Why am I underneath this sin? And I remember saying, go back to that fork in the road you felt in which the word of God came to you. Go back to that and say, Lord, please bring forth a word, but one more time. At this time, God, I'm going to hear it.
This time, God, I'm going to respond, Lord. Please, Lord, let your servant hear your word one more time, Lord. And if that changes in God's people, if that changes in our heart into that way, we can be those who live to do his will. And so this, I relayed this story to Brother Joel, and I said, I don't understand it. I don't understand it, Brother Joel. Brother Blair, he preached and he loved these people. And he didn't lose hardly any. They all came with him. And I said, but here we had this large group of people stirring over these things. They said it was the word of God, but none of them came. What was the difference? You know, how did I fail these people? You know, and, and Brother Joel, he said, you know what was the distinguishing mark of our church and has been every day since? I said, what was that? He said, we never thought that obeying God's word was optional. We lived in anticipation for the unfolding revelation of God's word. And as it came forth, if there was someone in our camp that says, I don't know if I'm going to do that, that would have been odd. Everyone could not imagine being on any other journey than to be hearing God's word and for that to be shaping a world out in front of them that they did not even imagine in their hearts when they began the journey. Amen. This can happen in God's people. This can happen in the church. This can be the change, you know, the foundational change that starts to make a shift in the church. And, and amen, it's got, it's got to change from, from flooding ourselves with information. And instead, it's got to be tuning that heart and listening for God's anointing. And when that word is coming forth, if this week and you're seeking God for something as it's coming forth, mix it with faith. Respond. Honor God and say you're more true than anything else. And see the miracle of life in your heart. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.